Amen. Won't you pray with me? Father, we are, as I've heard it prayed before, so frail, but yet you decide to use us. We thank you, God, that our worth does not come from anything that we do. That our worth does not come from our occupation or our status. But it comes from who you say we are. And we're yours. So we thank you for that this morning, Lord Jesus. And as you want to teach us in this season of anticipation, God, you want to teach us through the lives of, lives of those that were surrounding you when you were here as a baby and throughout your life here on earth. I pray that you would give us ears to hear what you want us to be taught. For each one of us comes here this morning in a different place, Lord, and we need to hear from you, not from any man. So we love you and we thank you and we give this time to you as a gift from us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, Christ Church. It's really good to see everybody this morning. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. I hope that you're fully recovered from all the turkey and all the visiting with the family and all that good stuff. And I, and I do want to mention before we get started, I want to say thank you to everybody who, who, who put their pledges in during our in-gathering time. I know when I first started here at Christ Church, pledging was actually something that was brand new to me. The church that I was at before, we, we just didn't do that. And, and, and so for me, this was a new concept. And I remember when I first got here, I actually had quite an attitude problem about it. I thought, well, who are they to, to hold me accountable to this church tax thing? What, what is this? And then my loving friend Jim Myler decided to explain to me that when we, when we actually put this uh, pledge in, what it does is it allows us as a church to, to even more appropriately handle the, the blessing and the finances that God has given us and allows us to properly budget. And so I just want to say that to you because some of you may out there have, the, have had the same attitude that I had in the past. When I found out why we pledge, I, I want to say I, I, my attitude completely changed, and I want to let you know that, that that helps us as a church to be able to really dis disperse the resources that God has given us and to not uh, be mishandlers of what God has blessed us with. So if you've already put your pledge in, thank you and God bless, and, and if you haven't put your pledge in, it's not too late, thank you and God bless. So there you go. Get it in. So, God is so good. When you think about the creation of everything, there has been this anticipation that has been building. Because you see, when Adam and Eve were created, they were created in the image of God. In fact, there's this romantic sentiment as I've been studying Genesis over the past few weeks that, that in fact, when Adam and Eve are together, God refers to them as very good. When they're separate, they're good. But, but a man and a, and a wife, a husband and a wife together is a very good thing. And the Bible tells us that they were created in the image of God. And so when sin entered the world, there, there had to be this atoning sacrifice that was being made for the sins that were taking place. And so a temporary solution to the problem um, that we find in Leviticus, we, we read all about it, is that, that there had to be blood offerings made. And so there was sheep, and there was goats, and there was doves, and there was different things that would be sacrificed for the sins of men. But as we said earlier, man has been created in the image of the divine. And so these simple sacrifices would not suffice. 
Because God has placed us above the animals. And so a sacrifice of an animal for the sins of the one made in God's image would not sustain long term. And so God in his love for us took a beautiful step so that we, made in the image of God, could be ever free from the bondage of sin and be made new. He sent Jesus Christ, God, the Son of God, to earth to be that atoning sacrifice, that sacrifice that would bring us into unity eventually with God. Isn't that beautiful? He could have just left us hanging and allowed us to be sheep and goat farmers for the rest of our life. But he didn't do that. God loved us so much that he sent his son to be our sacrifice. In the anticipation season that we're in right now, there's so much that we can learn from this divine pageant that takes place. And I want to encourage you that as we go throughout this Christmas season, we're going to be talking about the people that surrounded Jesus at his birth. And I I want you to really try to put yourself in the perspective that this is not a soap opera. This really happened. And, and so when you think about the story of Joseph that we're in this morning, when we talk about Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus, there's real emotions, there's real heartache, there's real decisions and temptations that take place on the part of Joseph, on the part of Mary, on the part of God. Have you ever thought about this? That God the Father placed in the hands of of a man named Joseph, the Savior of all things. God before put trust in Adam. and Adam let him down. But now we have this divine moment where this man, this righteous man, Joseph, hey, Joseph, I just wanted to let you know, your, your virgin fiance, yeah, she's pregnant with child. And by the way, you're going to be responsible for the Savior of everybody. Can you think about the pressure that's on Joseph? I say that kind of in a joking way, but have you ever really thought about the anticipation in his heart as he thinks about all the risks and all the things that are about to go down? If you have your Bible, I would encourage you to turn to Matthew 1 with me right now, verse 18. I just want to read this because this story is absolutely amazing. I really want you to think about this. A couple of things. First, The book of Matthew is a gospel that is written intentionally to the Jewish people. So everything in the way that this book is written does have kind of a Jewish understanding to it. For instance, when we read this scripture, I don't know about you, but a question that I will immediately have is, Joseph and Mary were engaged to be married, but yet it says he would be in need of a divorce. Did you ever ask that question? Why is that? Because in our culture, we see that when you're married, when you're physically already married, that's when you need a divorce. You don't need a divorce when you're engaged in our culture. But in the Jewish culture, an engagement, a betrothal, is a legally binding thing. And so as we read through this scripture passage, this scripture over the next few weeks, we need to be thinking in the context of the day that it was taking place and to to who these things were written. And so to answer that simple question, yes, they would need a divorce. 
Because the marriage was already beginning to take place. It would be a public spectacle. And so we find ourselves in our scriptures today at verse 18 where it says, This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So here they are in Nazareth. Joseph comes from the bloodline of David. They're kind of a well-known family. They're betrothed to be married. And a scandal breaks out. Whispers are happening all over town. People are talking about it. And as Joseph walks to the grocery store, or wherever it is he's going, or when he goes to work as a carpenter, people are whispering about it. In fact, the sin of Mary, in his mind, is actually going to affect his business. He knows that she's pregnant. He hasn't had this divine intervention from God yet. She's telling him some kind of crazy story that it was the Holy Spirit. Come on, Mary. God hasn't spoken in hundreds of years, and you're expecting me to believe that the Son of God is in you. How would you react if your spouse, your fiancé, came home? Think about it. And you know there hasn't been certain things happening. And she says, I'm pregnant with the Son of God. Where would your faith be in that moment? Where would your heart and mind be in that moment? I I love the human nature side of this part because it says that Joseph, being a good guy, being a righteous man, had it in mind to divorce her quietly because you see in that Hebrew culture at that time, a consequence of what Mary, in Joseph's eyes at this point, has done uh, to commit adultery and to be pregnant is is an offense that is just grotesque and actually she could be stoned to death. That didn't happen often. But she and the child within her could be stoned to death as a result of this. And so Joseph, being in love with her, says, I'm just going to lay my weapons down and I'm going to walk away. Have you ever had one of those moments in your life where so much brokenness has hit you that you don't even know what to do and the only thing you can do is just say, I'm going to lay it down before God and I'm walking away. Have you ever had that moment? Because as much as we think about this as this two-sentence long story, this is a nightmare coming true for almost every man. Joseph lays it at the feet of God. And I promise you this, church, when you lay something at the feet of God, He will respond. And it's not always going to be the way you think. Because I'm sure that that Joseph wasn't waiting to hear from God say, hey, guess what, Joseph? Mary's not kidding. I'm sure that in this moment, Joseph thinks his life is over. His life is ruined. He's going to have to leave town. This is awful. The woman he loves has found somebody else. But in our darkest moments, when we lay things at the feet of God, he will divinely intervene for us. Because you see, one of the things we learn here is that Joseph needed a divine intervention because he's on his way out. And it says this in verse 20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. 
Do not be afraid to make Mary, to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, and she will give birth to a son. You're to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, written to a Hebrew people, Joseph right away recognizes that this is something that's coming straight from Scripture and old, from Isaiah. And in this moment, when he wakes up, Joseph has the same decision that every single one of us has to fight or flight. Are we going to obey what God has told us to do? But be- or are we just going to run because it's hard? I don't know what you have going on in your life right now. But it says in the Word of God that if God is for us, who can be against us? And if we're to share in the glory of Jesus, we will share in His sufferings too, as Joseph's about to find out. Because in a divine moment, Joseph says, God, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm not afraid. I'm going to go. Because he had this divine intervention and God explained to him that this son, whom you will be responsible for, will bear the name Emmanuel. And in verse 22 it says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet Isaiah, that the virgin will be, chi- will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and they did give him the name Jesus. The prophecy that they're speaking of comes from Isaiah 7, 14. And I would encourage you to write that down and actually to go read it. It was quoted for us in the scripture there. But it's amazing when we see scripture coming together. It's amazing when we see God show up for someone with a divine intervention. God showed up in a a much beautiful way when he said to Joseph, trust me, we've got this. And and so he goes to Joseph and he says, he gives Joseph this revelation. And not only does he give him the revelation, he then explains the revelation and says that this is the Savior of the world. This is God with you, God with us. And then he gives him this even deeper uh, explanation by saying, this is to fulfill the prophecy that was foretold of long ago. And Joseph, because of your love for me, you get to be a part of the biggest story that will ever be told in all of creation. And it's going to be a nightmare. Because everybody in town is going to talk about you. In fact, what happens is we all know the story that there's a census called for. And so not only is it bad enough that they're in Nazareth and there's all this stuff going on and there's gossip, 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 because you know everybody wasn't believing this holy child story. That's, that's the craziest cover-up we've ever heard. Now they've got to go to David's ancestral hometown to Bethlehem and relive all over again the hardships of this divine soap opera. And when they get to town, we all know the story. There's no room, there's no room, there's no room. You're just Joseph, that 
guy who took pity on that adulterous woman. And I'm sure that the beginning of this young couple's life was not something that was easy. Joseph is said in the Bible, and he's not talked about a lot, believe it or not. There's only a couple other times he's even mentioned. But it says that he's a righteous man. And I want you to think about this. God put within his hands the Savior of everything. Jesus needed his diapers changed. Jesus needed to, from an earthly perspective, learn about hard work. He needed to learn about what it meant to be a man. And God appointed Joseph, his faithful servant, to do that, to be in his life. Three times God would appear to Joseph. The first time we just read about God appeared to him and said, your, your fiancé's pregnant, hang in there, I've got this. The second time he appears to him is later in, in uh, chapter 2. He says, hey, you need to get out of town because someone's going to try to kill Jesus. And I have placed you in charge of protecting him on earth. You need to go to Egypt. And you need to stay there until I send someone to tell you otherwise. And we know that the third time that God spoke to Joseph directly, it was when the angel came to him and said, hey, Herod's dead, you can come home. So what do we learn from this? We learn from this this, that when we anticipate the risks that come with following God, we have a moment where we could very easily take the easy road. We could very easily do things our way. Or we can do things God's way. I promise you this, when you do things God's way, they're going to be difficult. There's going to be hardship. But we could focus on that or we could focus on this. That Joseph is a part of the biggest story ever told. That Joseph was the earthly father of Jesus Christ. And so when you really count the cost or the risk that's involved, the blessings far outweigh the risks. And when you serve God, I promise you, the blessings that come through living a life committed to the gospel will far outweigh the hardships that you will endure. Because remember, we've been promised we will share in the glory of Jesus. But as the Bible tells us, we will also share in his sufferings. I kind of imagine Joseph in my mind having this mentality like, you know what, this is going to be terrible, let's go. I think there was this moment in Joseph's life where because he knew who he was and who God said that he was, he honestly didn't care what people thought around him. He carried on. He did his thing. And church, I want to challenge you. Do you know who God says you are this morning? My prayer is that you do. And if you do, do not worry about what men say. Worry about what God thinks. Because You might not realize it right now, but maybe he's going to trust you with one of the most important things the world will ever see. We can learn a lot from Joseph, but the lesson is simple. We need to be obedient even when God calls us to ridiculous things. Amen, church? Let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you for the story of your servant, Joseph. 
We thank you that, God, when we're in a moment of crisis, that you will reveal yourself to us. It's not always the answer we want or the answer that we expect, but, God, you give us the courage and strength to do the hard things that we do, that we need to do. We pray, God, that you would help us to think about uh, anticipating the risk, thinking about what's it going to cost if I don't obey you? Because we often think about what's it going to cost if I do uh, if I do obey God, I mean, we think about Joseph and, and how he says, what if, I, what if I, I don't obey? Think about that, church. God, work in our hearts. Help us to not be afraid to obey you because there's consequences for our disobedience as well. And so, Lord, we pray that you would use each one of us. Give us the opportunity to be ambassadors for you and help us to obey. In Jesus' name we pray.